Good morning. Welcome to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Hopefully you guys are, uh, well, hopefully you've enjoyed the start of summer, and uh, it is it is definitely the start of summer now. So a couple of announcements to uh, start us off. Today uh, we have our congregational meeting. So if you're a member or a regular attender or just want to come to a congregational church meeting, you can at 1030. It'll be up here. If you have kids, we do have child care. Um, for the meeting, see me downstairs, and I'll get you uh, signed up. Um, VBS, coming up July 26th through 29th. Our theme this year is Living Water, so we are super excited for that. Um, if you want to volunteer, we are looking for people who uh, want to be group leaders, so people who want to hang out with kids and corral them and keep them in line, but also build relationships and show them the love of Jesus. So if you um, have questions about that, please talk to Sherilyn Coach. She's in the back corner. Or um, email her or um, her phone number is in the bulletin. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to the worship team. Good morning. So how many of you have weather whiplash this morning? I feel like last time I was on worship team, I think I was wearing a sweater and we were cold and the plants were in the house and it was freezing and now we're up here with fans blowing and water and sweating. <laughs> it's hot this morning. Um, I have a couple of things I just wanted to mention. First of all, if you are out there and you are thinking about our worship team and you can sing or play an instrument or if you're interested in working in the sound booth, we are in need of people to just kind of get on that list and help out. Um, we have a rotation of two or three back there, two, two or three-ish people in the back. So um, if you want to learn audio, that's a, a great way to serve in the church. And then singing up here, or just talk to Al or I. Al, wave your hand. That's Al. Um, let us know if you want to be on worship. And secondly, I wanted to kind of update you guys. I work full-time at school here in town, too. Um, and I know a lot of you have been, you've had school on in your prayers this this year, and I want to thank you for that. We finished out a successful school year. We were in school in person the entire year with just a couple of short bursts of um you know, a couple of classrooms here and there being shut down for a two-week period. But otherwise, we did everything in person. And I know that is something that not a lot of the country can say. So it's something that we're just super happy to have gotten through the year safely. And we survived it, and we can rest now a little bit. But we thank you for your prayers. And we finished out the um, school year. We were able to have an in-person graduation that was very normal, um, in-person prom. Our spring sports ran pretty normal. So everything is is feeling a lot better at school. So I, I just thank you all for that because it has been a, a huge challenge this year. So we're going to invite you to stand and worship with us. We picked some fast songs this morning. So if you're hot already, you're going to be even hotter after this probably. <laughs> so join us and let's start out in worship.
may be seated. Well, good to be with you this morning as we join together in worship. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and it's good to be with you this morning. Will you continue worshiping with me as we enter a time of prayer? Father, we we just saying that you are you are ancient of days that you have always been and you always will be that you reign over the universe in your goodness and you will always reign you are king over all the earth and over all the universe and so easy for me to get lost in a day-to-day concern, day-to-day life, and to lose sight of that God. But I want to pause this morning and praise you and thank you for your goodness, for your, for your majesty, and that you reign over all, and that every good gift is from you. God, let us not take that for granted this morning, that any good thing in our lives is a gift from you. Every breath we take is a gift from you. Let us feel that this morning. Let us be aware of that this morning as we come before you in worship. We come here, we gather to pour out praise to you for all that you have done for us. And without be the desire of our hearts this morning as we sing and as we gather together. Yeah, we pray for people in our church family here who that pouring out of praise comes through tears and it comes through pain as they wrestle with various trials and various troubles. Pray that you would be with those who are in need. Yeah, that for those who need healing, that you would bring healing, that you bring comfort, that you bring peace to those who are in need. We trust that you are a mighty God who is at work even through hard things to bring about your good purposes. Yeah, let that be so in the lives of the people who are walking through hard times here this morning. For, for churches gathering throughout the world, God, they gather in various contexts and various situations, many of them far more difficult than ours here today. And for that you would be at work to build your kingdom, to draw people to yourself from every tribe and nation and tug throughout the world that you would use churches and hard to reach places to bring about remarkable stories of your work and would your glory be magnified because of the work you do through those churches and through us here gathered today praise God in Jesus name Amen another way we want to invite you to Continue in worship is through giving, right? especially if you're a regular member or a tender here. You can give either online on our website or you can drop your offering in the boxes on the back wall. Like if, you're a, if you're a visitor here or if you're not a regular tender, please know that we, we're not looking for your money. We don't want your gifts. We want this service to be a gift to you. But if you're a regular tender and want to contribute to what we're doing here, those are the ways we can do that. So let's continue to worship together. We invite you to stand again as we continue worshiping. Um, I just want to share with you a little bit kind of how 
when we're coming into church and I'm, I'm looking at songs that we're singing, a little bit of what goes behind that, a long time ago, I think I was in college, I had a pastor somewhere, somebody told me about how music and worship, it, it, a lot of times a, a service is kind of built with, you're coming in and you're, you're praising and you're worshiping, and it's like the temple where you're working your way into the Holy of Holies. And I always think about that as I'm, I'm um, picking out songs for us to sing. I'm like, as we get closer and closer to what Tim is going to be talking about this morning, we're like really preparing our hearts for that and, and working our way into that like really worshipful moment so that as you're listening to the word, which is like the Holy of Holies, that's, that's where we're at. So these next few songs, I mean, I just center yourself a little bit and, and think about that. Like we're, we're coming closer and closer and we're, we're walking to that Holy of Holies. This first song is I Cast My Mind to Calvary, which is really appropriate for that. We're, we've come in here, we've worshipped, we've celebrated, and now we're casting our mind toward Calvary. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus
Father God, would that be true? Would you glorify your name? And would you work in us and through us to do the work you have called us to do? Or that we can be a part of seeing your name glorified as you work to bring glory to your name all throughout the earth. And will we be a part of that here in our local area? Will we strive to make your name great and bring glory to your name? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before we, before we jump into the sermon, I just want to reiterate one thing. Ian sent the announcement, right? We'll have our, our annual meeting after the service today. And so it's going to be at 1030. I'm going to try to get us out of here around 10. Right? And so they'll give us like half an hour to go down there to eat, drink coffee, have some donuts and things that are down there. Right? But here's what's going to happen. Right? It's going to be like 1028. And like talking to your friends is going to sound a lot more fun than coming upstairs to this nice warm room for an annual meeting. Right? And I understand that, but right, we, we got to do this thing. Right? And so shoot 1030 back in here. We will, we will do that. We'll kind of just looking forward to talking about what God has done, what God is doing in the life of this church, new leaders he's raising up, and kind of where we're looking going forward as a church. So... You may remember the former North Korean dictator, Kim Jong-il. Allegedly, he played only one round of golf ever in his life. And it was quite the round. In that round of golf, he allegedly made 11 holes in one (laughs) on his way to shooting a 38 under par. And not on some, like, mini-golf putt-putt course, but like on a national, like, PGA-quality course. And if that wasn't enough, he apparently also only ever bowled one game of bowling in his life and bowled a 300 game. But, like, it shouldn't really be surprising, right? Like, after all, like, this guy, like, apparently, allegedly, was born under a double rainbow. And North Korea media reports that when he was born, a new star appeared in the sky, and they, they report that he could also walk at three weeks and talk at eight weeks. Like, it's clearly an athletic prodigy. Right? Like, nothing should surprise us. And if that wasn't enough, just for good measure, apparently, according to his official biography, he also wrote 1,500 books. Like, it's like quite the life. Of course, it's like utterly implausible. Like, we understand that, and yet these are treated as indisputed facts in North Korean media. Because, like, Kim Jong-il, the dictator of North Korea, or was, and he's had absolute authority. And when you have absolute authority and you make a claim, no one's going to dispute it. It's like, those, those are funny examples, right? Because there's plenty of examples of abuses of power and authority that are far less funny, but I don't want to talk about those and bring us all down, right? But, like, the, like, but authority, like, breeds this, like, sense of entitlement and, like, abuse of power. Like, we're all fallen. We're all sinful. 
And if any of us think that like, we would handle power absolute, power absolute authority perfectly, like, we're probably part of the problem. Fallen and sinful people are incredibly prone to abusing whatever power they've been given. And therefore, unlimited authority, unlimited power, often leads to wild abuses of power. Like Kim Jong-il claiming to hit 11 holes in one. But in the passage we're going to be in today, we're going to see two people who have vast amounts of authority, vast amounts of power, and yet don't seem to be corrupted by that authority. The first is a Roman centurion who, like, despite his authority and his power in that time, was respected by the Jews that he had authority over. And the second, more prominently, is Jesus, the Son of God, who had unlimited authority, unlimited power, and yet never abused his authority or his power in any way. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. So this is our, our first week back in the book of Luke, following a little four-week break. So we went to the book of Ruth together, but we've been working our way through the book of Luke over the last six, seven months now, taking little breaks along the way, but we're heading back into Luke, picking up in chapter 7. Before we, before we get into this passage, let me just give us a quick recap of the first six chapters of Luke, in case you missed some, or I know you wouldn't forget anything I ever said, but... Just in case, let me give you the brief snapshot. So the first two chapters of Luke are all about two childhood accounts of two different people, John the Baptist and Jesus. And Luke very intentionally goes back and forth, back and forth, from John to Jesus, John to Jesus, kind of comparing their childhoods, always with the intention of showing that Jesus is superior to John. And so John is born miraculously because he's born to an an elderly couple, which is miraculous, but it's also happened a few times in biblical history. But Jesus, his birth was unprecedentedly miraculous. He was born to a virgin. And then when John is born, his father is filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesies, which is great. But when Jesus is born, angels appear and announce his birth. So these two special children are born, but Luke makes it clear that Jesus is the supremely special one. So then in chapter 3, we fast forward to their adult wives. And like Luke first shows us that John is playing this role in preparing the way for Jesus. And then from then on, he kind of focuses almost exclusively on Jesus from there on out. And slowly, section by section, little by little, he begins to reveal more and more about who Jesus is to us. He shows us that Jesus had the power to heal and to cast out demons. He shows us how Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, yet didn't give in to that temptation. He shows us how Jesus was baptized by John, and then God declares Jesus to be his son. Jesus calls his disciples and then teaches them. He teaches them things that bring them into conflict with the Pharisees. So throughout this whole book, Luke's been building a case. Right? That's his point. Like He's writing to Theophilus, this guy, who, and he's trying to explain who Jesus is. And he's building the case that Jesus is a man who God is working through uniquely. But up to this point, up to, to the first six chapters, it's not entirely clear what all that entails. 
what is all really involved in Jesus' uniqueness. And today in this passage, Jesus, Luke is going to add another kind of piece to the puzzle as we color in the picture of who Jesus is. And this picture, the part that he's going to color in, has to do with authority. Luke's going to answer a few questions for us in this chapter. Namely, like, what does Jesus have authority over? Like, how far does his authority extend? And what does he use his authority for? So you're going to do that through telling two stories we're going to look at this morning. The story of a centurion and the story of a widow. If we look at those two stories, like what we're going to see is that Jesus has authority over sickness and over death. And he's going to use that authority for the good of needy people from diverse backgrounds. Like I was just, as we sang, I was thinking about the sermon, thinking about this passage, and like it just kind of struck me. Right? So like we're going to see a healing. Jesus is going to heal a person here. He's going to raise a person from the dead. Right? And it just struck me. Like this isn't in my notes, but can be. But like how easy it was, like in my week of sermon prep, right, to like take these stories for granted. Right? Like that Jesus like healed someone and then raised someone from the dead. And I like read those this part of my sermon prep. I was like, oh yeah, Jesus does that. And that's just the thing he does. Like, we just just pause for a minute and think about, and as we go through the sermon, think about how incredible it is, like the things that Jesus does. That he heals, that he raises from the dead. So just, as, as we go through the passage, let's just keep that in mind. And so we turn now to Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. So this comes right after Jesus finished his sermon on the plain, this long section of teaching. Then Luke picks up and says, When Jesus had finished saying this, like the sermon on the plain, to all the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And so to fully appreciate this story, like we have to understand like what, a, what a centurion is. So a centurion is an officer in the Roman army. Usually they commanded about 100 men. It's a fairly high-ranking position overall, and it paid pretty well. Especially if you got stuck on some outpost like Judea. Right? Like no one wanted to go there, so they paid the centurions well to go there. So as you might imagine, like this didn't make centurions very popular with Jewish people, usually. The centurions were were high-ranking officers in an army that was occupying their homeland. They were well-paid. Guess where that money came from? It came from taxes that were imposed on the Jews by the Romans. Like, all of which just made them very unpopular. So that should then strike us. It's pretty incredible that this man could send some Jewish... Jewish elders to Jesus, and they would say this. They would say, 
this man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Like, that was not said of many centurions. But apparently this particular centurion, instead of abusing his power, instead of abusing his authority, had used that power and authority to build relationships with the people he lived among. That he had used, he had reached out, he had built bridges across cultural differences. He'd even used his wealth to finance the building of a synagogue for the Jewish people. And now he is a servant, presumably a Jewish servant, that he cares enough about that he goes out of his way to track down Jesus in order to help this servant. It would have been so easy right, for this man to just cast this servant aside, let him die, let him go with whatever sickness he had, and then find someone new to bring in and replace him. But he didn't do that. So often people in authority use their power to lord it over people who they have authority over. But this man doesn't do that. He understands that the best way to truly influence people is by building relationships, not by abusing power. And all of this leads the Jewish elders who are sent to Jesus to call the centurion worthy. Which is a pretty big claim. In fact, it's so big, the centurion knows that it's not true. Look at verse 6. He was not far, that's Jesus, was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so somehow, some way, like this centurion has heard report about Jesus. He knows based on what he's heard of Jesus, that he is not worthy of Jesus. He knows, right, this centurion, somehow, somebody knows that no matter how good he may look to those around him, no matter how good he may look to the Jews around him, like, he knows that he's not actually all that great. He, like every other human, has sinful thoughts, sinful secret sins. He knows he's not as great as everyone on the outside seems to think. And because of that, he knows, as he puts it, he does not deserve to have Jesus come under his roof. He did not consider himself worthy to come to Jesus himself. Just think about what a statement that is. What kind of humility that displays. This is a man who's in a position that he could be on an absolute power trip. Based on his position, he could tell pretty much any Jew to do anything he wants and expect obedience. He could have ordered Jesus to come. But he didn't do that. Because there's more at play here than just political power structures. The centurion realizes that Jesus has an authority that is greater than any authority that Rome can give. And that centurion realizes that that authority both, one is his his servant's only hope, 
and that authority makes the centurion utterly unworthy of Jesus. He realizes, like, Jesus has something I can't give my servant. It's his only hope. And because of who Jesus is, I'm not worthy to go to him. And when Jesus hears this report about the centurion, he's amazed by this kind of insight. Picking up in verse 9, we read, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. There are two times in the Gospels that we read that Jesus was amazed by something. The first one occurs when he goes back to his own hometown in Nazareth, and we're told that he was amazed by their lack of faith. In his own hometown, no one seems to believe, and it amazed him that there was such a lack of faith. And then here, Jesus is amazed by their faith, by the centurion's faith. If anyone had reason to know and believe and have faith in Jesus, it should have been the residents of his own hometown. And if anyone had no reason to need or like, believe in Jesus, it was this centurion. And yet the people of Nazareth have no faith, well, the centurion does have faith. And like, that amazes Jesus. It's important for us to realize like, what it is about the centurion's faith that makes Jesus so amazed. I think there's, there are two aspects of the faith, of the centurion faith, that we see in this passage. One, as we already mentioned, is like the centurion is aware that he is unworthy to come into Jesus' presence. The centurion has heard right, that Jesus can heal, which he apparently takes as a sign that Jesus has some kind of divine authority or divine connection, and he understands that Jesus is superior to him. So he knows that he is unworthy. And the second aspect of the centurion's faith is that he understands Jesus' power and authority. Up to this point in Luke, like we've seen Jesus heal a few times, but it's always been in close proximity to the person that he's healing. He's always right there, too, like laying hands on him. He's right there next to the person. But the centurion somehow understands that Jesus' authority is not actually constrained by any kind of artificial distance limit. And Jesus then proves him right by healing the servant from afar. Jesus speaks the word, and the servant is healed. Jesus has authority over sickness, even from far away. I think there's two things from this story of the centurion for us to kind of take away. At first, like when we approach Jesus, when we come to Jesus, we need to have a right understanding of His righteousness, His perfection, and therefore our unworthiness, our unrighteousness. We need to understand that Jesus is the creator of the universe who gave up the glories of heaven to come and he lived a sinful, sinless, important distinction, he lived a sinless life among us. And like compared to that, compared to what Jesus did, giving up heaven, living a sinless life, each of us is utterly unworthy of him. 
We are creatures made for His glory. Yet we rejected Him right? through our sin. We have rebelled against Him. And if you think that you have anything to offer Jesus that, that makes you worthy, right, then you've missed the point of the passage. We have nothing we can bring. We have nothing we can offer Jesus to make him, us worthy of Him. But the amazing truth right, of the Gospel right, is that even though we're unworthy, even though we have nothing to offer, like, Jesus doesn't keep us at arm's length. He didn't leave us to wrestle with the consequences of our sin on our own, but instead He came and He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross on our behalf so that we, through belief in Him, we can be treated as if He lived the sinless life he lived. That our sins can be forgiven by believing in Him. And He invites us to come to Him even though we are unworthy. And so if you're here this morning, you're watching online this morning, you've never trusted Jesus. Right? You've never sensed and felt your unworthiness and your need of Him for your salvation. Like I would invite you to do that this morning. To trust in Jesus. To understand you are unworthy, yet He comes for you and dies for you. That not only does He come, but He cares. He cares about our sorrows and our hurts and our needs. He showed through His death on the cross that He loves us and He cares for us despite our unworthiness. And like that's incredible, right? We ought to embrace that. We ought to run to Jesus with our cares and concerns. But when we run to Him, when we go to Him, like we must understand that we go to Him and we are able to go to Him not because we are worthy, right? Not because we've earned the right to go to Him by our good deeds. We're able to go to Him with our concerns and our hurts only because of His love and His grace for us. His grace, not our worthiness, is the reason we are able to approach Jesus. And it's the reason that He responds to our needs. The second thing to take from Jesus' encounter with the centurion is the sense for how far Jesus' authority extends. The centurion believed, the centurion had faith that Jesus had the authority to heal, even from afar. He believed that there was no limit to Jesus' miracle-working power. He believed that Jesus could do whatever He wanted to do, merely by saying the word. The question is, like, is your faith in Jesus that big? You may mentally affirm that these things are possible, but do you really believe that Jesus is able to do anything and everything by the power of His Word? Or do you tend to put Jesus in a box and limit what you really believe He is capable of doing? Jesus is fully capable of doing whatever He wants, whenever He wants. And to have a faith like the centurion is to fully embrace that reality. And that doesn't mean, importantly, that he'll just give us whatever we want if we only have enough faith. 
That's not what this passage tells us. We just, if we believe hard enough, we'll get whatever it is we need. But it does mean that no matter what we're going through right now, no matter what trials, no matter what struggle, Jesus is walking with you through it. Jesus is aware of it. And He's working in that situation for your good. And so, the question I'd invite you to consider. Is there any area of your life where you've lost the faith that Jesus is able to work? And if there is, I hope this passage is a, an, an impetus for you to move forward and to restore your faith in Jesus' awesome power. And so maybe you have a broken relationship in your life with someone, or a parent, kid, whatever it's like, and it just it feels unfixable. It feels lost. Like, trust or that Jesus is able to mend that relationship. Maybe you have a loved one. If you've told about Jesus over and over again, but they've just rejected Him and never trusted in Jesus. Trust that Jesus is able. Maybe you're walking through some kind of pain, some kind of disease, some kind of trial, and you just feel like there's no hope of healing. Again, the invitation here is to trust that Jesus is able. Maybe you're trapped or you feel trapped in some kind of secret sin or some kind of addiction. And you like, feel like there's no hope of breaking free from that sin. Again, like, trust that Jesus is able. Whatever you're facing, don't lose hope. Instead, like, like the centurion, keep the faith that Jesus is able at any moment, to say a word and display His power. And I can't promise that it's going to happen today or tomorrow or even in this lifetime. But if we walk with Jesus, trust Jesus, we can be confident that He is at work for our good and will one day, whether in this life or the next, undo all the pain, all the hurt, all the trial. And in the next, the next story in this passage, we see another display of the extent of Jesus' power. Look at verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So just notice that phrase, a large crowd. So we've got a large crowd following him. That's going to be important in a little bit. Continuing in verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. If you were here for our sermon series through the book of Ruth, like this should be a little reminiscent of Naomi. Right? Suddenly, she's, this widow is childless and without her husband. Well, what's true of Naomi is true of this woman as well. Right? That To be childless and a widow during this time period puts you in a very precarious situation. This woman, with her only son now dead, has no one really to provide for her. You can imagine the emotional anguish she would be going through, having lost this beloved son and her only means of security in this world. And so it says a large crowd from the town was with her. So now we have this picture of a large crowd with Jesus and a large crowd with this widow, and they're coming together. So there's two large crowds, right? 
The point being, there can be a lot of people who are going to see what's going to happen next. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Which those are just cruel words unless Jesus can do something about this situation. So just imagine walking up to a woman who's lost her only son and just saying, don't cry. Like in a broken and fallen world, bad things happen. Like there are things worth crying about, and this is one of them. Unless, unless Jesus can do something about the situation. Verse 14, then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. So according to Jewish law, right, touching the beard, touching the place where the man was laid, should have made Jesus unclean. But that didn't stop Jesus from doing it. This is another picture of Jesus' power and authority. Right? Instead of unclean things making him unclean, he makes the unclean thing clean. Which is great news for you and me. Right? Because of our sinfulness, we are unclean. We are, as I said a minute ago, unworthy. It doesn't, but that doesn't stop Jesus from coming to us. And not only does Jesus come to us, but he reaches out to us. He, he reaches out to us, he touches us, he makes us clean. He takes away our sin. That's what he does here. He touches the unclean thing and he makes it clean. And as evidence of that, the story continues. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother. And so again, so easy, at least for me, to read my Bible and to like read right through that. Like, yeah, Jesus raised someone from the dead. Like, there was a man dead laying on a beer, and he said, young man, get up. And he got up. That's incredible. Verse 16, the crowd, that's a more appropriate response than I tend to have when I read that. It says, they were all filled with awe and praised God and said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to his people. So just think about like how Luke has been revealing more and more of Jesus to us throughout this book. He started out with Jesus, the teacher, and it's one thing to be a, a great teacher. Like That's great. And it's an amazing claim to say you understand the law better than the Pharisees. And it's incredible that Jesus could lay his hands on someone and heal them. It's amazing that he could cast out demons. It's even more incredible that he could speak a word and heal someone from a distance. But to raise someone from the dead? That could only be the work of God. Only God has power and authority over life and death. And now this man, Jesus, has appeared. And he can raise the dead. Like, what else can that mean but what the people say? That God has come to help His people. Jesus has authority over life and death. Do we grasp how good news that is for us? As one commentator puts it, Jesus' miracles 
are audiovisuals of great truths. They point us forward to great truths. Like our, our greatest hope, right, is not that we would experience, have an experience like this man. Right? That like one day we'll just like wake up at our funeral and be like, hey, surprise. Right? But like that's not our greatest hope. Instead, this miracle like, points us forward to the great truth that one day each of us, all of us, will rise from the dead. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, after they are raised from the dead, they will spend eternity with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. So there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more sin, and there is no more death. There is coming a day when, in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, when the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death hath been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the promise of this story. That death, the last great enemy, has already been defeated. That though this world has trials, this world has hardships, we may never get full relief from them in this life. We can look forward to the day when this old, imperishable, mortal body will give way to an imperishable, immortal body. When death is totally swallowed up in victory. When death will no longer have any sting because it is completely defeated through the work of Christ. And this miracle, this raising of the widow's son, is an invitation for us in the midst of life's trials, in the midst of life's hardship, to look forward to that day. And as we look forward to that day, as we live lives here on this earth, we live it in light of that glorious future. We live our lives now looking forward to that future. And for the people in this passage, and for us, it means, that means two things. First, these people were filled with awe and they praised God. Our, our first response to all that Jesus has done for us and for all that He has promised that He will do for us should be right, to praise God, to glorify Him. When we understand our unworthiness and we understand Jesus' worthiness and how He still came to defeat sin for us, we should be moved to praise. We deserve eternal death for our sin, yet Jesus did not leave us in that condition. He came for us, even though we were unworthy. The second response to Jesus' authority over death is seen in verse 17. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. As we said, like two great crowds witnessed this event, the one following Jesus and the one following the funeral procession. Right? So a lot of people saw what just happened. And they can't keep it to themselves. And so because of that, like the news about Jesus begins to spread. And that should be our response as well. Right? When we truly grasp the power and the authority of Jesus, when we truly believe that He has power over sickness and over death, right? we should earnestly desire to spread that good news. Right? 
wherever we go, whoever we have contact with, our desire should be to spread the good news of Jesus to them. One of the things that strikes me about these two stories is how like, the centurion and the widow are on opposite ends of the social spectrum. The centurion is wealthy and he has social clout and he has authority. But the widow is poor and powerless and insecure. Yet, yet Jesus came to help both of them. The only thing they had in common was their need of Jesus. The centurion knew that despite his authority in many parts of life, he had no power to help his servant. He knew he needed Jesus, even though he was unworthy. And the widow was so broken and helpless and in need, yeah, Jesus came for her. Jesus displayed his authority over sickness and over death for needy and broken people. We have needy and broken people all around us. My hope is that we'll leave here. We'll take this message of Jesus with us. We encounter friends. We encounter family members and neighbors who need to hear the message of the good news that is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your power, your might, that you have authority over all the universe. That you sent your Son, Jesus, to come to get authority over sickness and over death. That he had unlimited power, yet he only used it for your glory and for our good. Help us not lose sight of what an amazing gift that is, how incredible it is, all that Jesus did for us. And as we're amazed by that, would we go telling other people the incredible news of Jesus Christ? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave here, would you go just amazed anew by what an incredible power and incredible authority Jesus has and how he uses that power for your glory, for his glory, for your good. You are dismissed.